0: I'm Pierre Dupont. Uh, Hopefully, uh, I will be able to talk to you a little bit uh, and retain your attention for the next 15 or 20 minutes and talk a little about how one can thoughtfully and intentionally project wealth 100 years, maybe more, into the future. Um, uh, Whether you can get it 1500 years in the future, I don't know. Uh, but you'll hear a bit more about how far my my families have gotten it so far. Um, first, I want to thank Richard Wilson for putting on this event. Um, I've, I've come a few times, uh, not in three or four years now, it gets better every time. Uh, so, Richard, thank you very much for doing this and, and, and for all of your team also. Um, so, you heard uh, uh, Peter Habib speak earlier uh, and he talked about wealth destroyers. He laid that out very well, and he laid out some, some answers for, for wealth creation, I think. I'm not here to talk so much about destruction of wealth or even creation of wealth, but maybe projection of wealth or preservation of wealth, uh, whether the wealth is financial or merely a legacy of some sort or even a business, to your grandchildren, maybe your great-grandchildren, and to project it in a more effective Way uh, a more valuable way, so that it is received by those descendants and the communities in which they live more effectively. Um, So let's see if this all works. There we go. Uh, Okay. So um, just to start off, um, uh, uh, you know, this this topic, uh, my topic, is not about sexy investments, not about phenomenal tax strategies, not about great insurance tools, although all of those things can, can play a valuable uh, role and, and you should be paying attention to those topics. Um, but but it is about how to successfully project that wealth uh, way down the tree to descendants you may never know. And the second point I would make would be just to highlight, oops, hang on, I think I did the wrong thing. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, leisure, right. Uh, G5 and G8, I'm willing to bet many of you have not seen those two uh, acronyms side by side, uh, they stand for Generation 5 and Generation 8. As you will hear in a moment, uh, I am the fifth generation in my mother's family, uh, which does still control and own a, a very prominent family business, which you will hear about in a moment and many of you will recognize. Um, my father's family business, uh, I am G8, but truthfully one cannot call the DuPont Company a family business today, uh, as you'll also hear in a moment. Um, so. There are three items uh, that kind of tie together everything I'll say in the next uh, 15 or 20 minutes, Uh, and they are uh, uh, my family histories, and I'll kind of lay out some of those histories, and and then we'll talk about some of the lessons learned and the challenges and risks we have faced, uh, and, and some of the successes and failures at dealing with those challenges and those risks regarding projecting wealth forward, and then what one might be able to do about mitigating um, uh, some of those challenges uh, and, and some of those risks. Um, so So that's kind of the outline of what we're going to talk through here. Um, so uh, I like to start with the conclusion. Um, oh, and, and I guess I make the one point before we move on. I'm going to cover a lot of material here. The slides have far more on them than I will talk about. And there are about 25 more slides at the after this presentation that I won't talk about. I'd be happy to send them to you. Uh, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn, email me, get my card, whatever. Um, I'm also happy to brainstorm with you by phone, by Zoom, by text, by email, whatever. Whatever issue you may be wrestling with. Uh, that to me is the most valuable thing that you can do for me, honestly, is to, you know, brainstorm about whatever you're wrestling with and let me try to understand it. Maybe I can offer some, some comments that will be helpful to you. So we will start with a conclusion. Um, if you're going to be successful with multi-gen wealth, you will have long-term thinking, you'll have engagement across the growing family, and of course you'll have flexibility in how that wealth is managed and, 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 and projected and received. These are very important points. Long-term thinking um, is really the key to it all. If you don't think of what it's going to be like for your great-grandchildren or your great-great-grandchildren 100 years from now, if you don't try and put yourself in their shoes, And look at how they and the 200 of their cousins that will exist 100 years from now, how they're going to be receiving your wealth. You you may not be as successful about it. You're likely not to be as successful about projecting that wealth. Um, Certainly, engagement is the key. I'm going to talk a lot about communications within your family. And that really comes down to giving your descendants the ability to be engaged around the wealth and with the wealth in every generation. Engagement is the key word here. It starts with communications, as we'll see. And again, flexibility. Um, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I am aware of a, of a trust document, uh, not in my family, uh, but I can imagine it happening, that uh, provided education for, uh, you can go to any college you want to, descendant, as long as it begins with the letter H. Now, I went to a school that begins with the letter P. So that wouldn't have applied to me. Um, but you know, maybe 100 years ago that made some sense, but not, not really. And, and so be careful about tying things down and preventing flexibility in exactly that way. So I do have to make a disclaimer clause. Cerity Partners is my firm. Uh, we are a wealth advisor. Uh, we do manage actually about 70 billion for about uh, 5,000 clients today nationwide. There are about 700 people in my firm. Um, I'm just one of them. I run a family office, multi-gen wealth practice within that. But because I work for this firm, it's very important that you understand that you must not take any bit of advice I give you today. Hire a professional, whether it's investments, tax strategies, communication strategies, get yourself a professional. And what I'm going to be saying are my words and my experience is not the professional opinions of my firm. So very important to get that disclaimer out there. But, you know, I'll make an interesting point. You do need a team of people who can help you with your multi-gen wealth. Don't go it alone. Do have investment advisors, do have tax advisors, do have estate planners that you talk to regularly. Not once and done, but regularly. So that's a very important point actually. So to get to the history, uh, these are the two companies that we're gonna talk a little bit about today. Uh, you all know of DuPont, uh, or may well know of DuPont. It's a, it's, a, it's a shadow of what it was 50 years ago. In fact, in 1954, for about three weeks, DuPont was the largest market cap company in the world. From the 30s and 20s, 30s, and 40s, it was the, the Google, the Amazon.com uh, of the era, uh, creating all kinds of fabulous materials that really did change um, the world and, and, and impacted pretty much every individual person. Uh, in the world uh, across that time, and, and DuPont uh, took the, the benefit of, of becoming a huge company, uh, and indeed my, my family uh, created or, and, and received a fair bit of wealth from that work. I will tell you, that wealth is basically gone. Now the company started in 1802, uh, and for the first hundred years it was a private partnership that made explosives, um, about 22 percent. I think exactly across those first 100 years, 22% went to military purposes, but the bulk of it went to building bridges, uh, tunnels, canals, uh, mines, and even farming, if you can believe it. Um, All kinds of applications. But through those 100 years, the company learned how to be safe, how to take care of people, and how to do a quality job at what it did. And then as they began to evolve into the chemicals that made explosives work and 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 they had to use to manufacture they were able to see opportunities and then build new businesses in the chemicals industry and becoming the the behemoth you know today the family did own a controlling stake uh, through the 50s Uh, we lost that controlling stake uh, by supreme court uh, edict uh, in in an antitrust lawsuit that went on for 50 years before it was finally resolved against DuPont I will tell you that my great-grandfather uh, and his brother, uh, who were the two of the, the three or four major leaders of the company in the early 1900s, both were very old as that suit was proceeding, and they fought that, and they won the uh, the court just below the Supreme Court. They won their case there, uh, and then, as happens uh, with older people, they both died. And two years later, the Supreme Court ruled against them. So I am at least comfortable that they went off to heaven thinking they had they had they finally won the battle. Um, we did maintain some control through an entity called uh, Christiana Securities until the 70s, but even then we were, you know, 500 or 1,000 people in the family, and that many people will never come together to, do, to control anything. Today I have 5,000 cousins. I'm not kidding, 5,000 cousins in my father's family. I don't, I don't know most of them, but I do know how to find them. Um, we do have a, a family office that keeps track of nothing more than the genealogy. There is no shared asset, no economic asset at all. Of much greater interest to this crowd is Wawa. I suspect a number of you, i going to raise some hands, have been to a Wawa or know of Wawa. So, you know, particularly down here in Florida, uh, we're opening a store a week today between Philadelphia and, and Miami. And uh, that growth rate will continue. It's been going on, uh, not at that rate, but, but a similar uh, uh, growth rate for 50 years. My Uncle Dick, my mother's brother, has run it. The family does still control the majority of the shares. It is a private company. There is no public listing of it. We definitely do not want a public listing, uh, I would say. Uh, There is a family council uh, that appoints several family board members, uh, but there is really a board of independence that oversees the company. And sadly, uh, there is no longer any family in senior management at the company today. That's a big statement. Uh, And Uncle Dick who is now retired, and, and I often worry I shouldn't use, be using names, so maybe his name isn't really Dick. I forget you heard that. Um, but he's a great uncle, in any case, a wonderful uncle, I should say. Um, he did make the decision that the family didn't really have the capability to continue to support the growth of the company from a management point of view, and that's a very valid statement. I don't know anything about convenience stores. I don't know anything about selling gas and making quick-serve quick sandwiches, uh, which we do very, very well uh, uh, at Wawa. Um, So, indeed, why should I uh, be able to become the CEO of of Wawa, and the answer is I I don't. But it's been very interesting because there is a family trust created in 1921 that actually controls uh, the shares through which the family, and by the way, I have 200, actually 191 cousins in my mother's family. When you get to G5, that's kind of where you end up after 100 years. Um, Anyway, that that family trust uh, is a very interesting vehicle and and very effective, um, but it has complexities because it was not created to own a business. It was created to own a house, which had a dairy, which became a milk provider to neighbors, became the largest milk provider to Philadelphia in the 20s and 30s, and became a convenience store in the 60s. So uh, anyway, uh, very interesting stories there we can talk about at some point. So let me jump on, um, uh, so what have I learned and, and received, if you will, from all of these family members? First of all, traditions of safe, open, and regular family communications. Traditions of family communications. Each of those words is important, traditions. These things have to happen even when you're gone. So how do you make that happen? It's one thing to tell your kids to get together and talk, but it's altogether a different thing that they will keep doing that when you are no longer around to make it happen. That's where the word traditions comes in. Regular, obviously you want this to happen probably once a year, maybe several times a year. In my father's family, we still have a great family event on January 1st coming up in a couple of weeks. We don't make any business decisions, there's no discussions, but there will be about 700 people there, no joke, on on New Year's Day. Um, My mother's family, a little more relevant, just uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving, we had our annual family shareholders meeting. Uh, and there were about, uh, about 110 of us there out of the 190 some odd. Many of them were quite small of course, so they didn't come. But um, that's a wonderful meeting and a lot happens. We don't really make a whole lot of decisions today uh, about the company, but we hear a lot about it. Because obviously the company and, and we as shareholders really want the family to keep being shareholders because that's a, a shareholder base that you can do something with. That's very important. So I'm going to speed up a lot here. Um, building governance systems is quite critical. I don't really have the governance systems in my father's family anymore. We did for a long time through Christiana Securities that I mentioned briefly earlier. And my mother's family, as I mentioned, there is a family council. Uh, and I served on that family council a long time ago, 15 or 18 years ago. Probably won't serve on it again. Um, but you know we all have a, a bit of a voice with that family council, if you will. Um, uh, so And then finally, this third point on the slide here, which I haven't gotten to yet, um, is what is, your, what is the purpose of your wealth? Why are you projecting this forward? What do you want it to do and achieve 25 years from now, 50 years from now, and 100 years from now? And I do hope that is not a decision that you make alone. I hope you do that in collaboration with your grown children, even teenage-level children, and their spouses. We'll come back to that in a moment. Um, Again, moving much too fast, let's move on and talk about what my dad did for me and my siblings in 1969. I was 10 years old, I think not quite 10, it was the summer before my birthday. Uh, my birthday. Um, he sat us down, this is my dad in the, on the far right there, talking to my daughter, the blonde, and, and my, uh, my niece, uh, the, the brunette. He was a wonderful storyteller. Uh, He had a political career, told a lot of great stories. As a politician, very powerful stories that resulted in some huge successes, which we can talk about another time. But the trust coming your way from my father and our ancestors are not entirely for you. You have a responsibility to project them forward to your descendants and the communities in which they live. And there was a lot more that he said. I barely remember that first sentence, but I do remember the moment. And that has been with me ever since. My siblings and I talk a lot about this. Dad died a couple years back. We talk a lot about this kind of thing. And we've projected, I believe, this on to our children in, indeed. Um, again, moving far too fast, some of the tools and techniques you'll need for engagement. Um, making communications relevant is tough. It's boring to sit there and listen about portfolio strategies and tax strategy and so on. No one wants to do that. No one will be paying attention. But you got to talk about those things. But, so the key is to find a way to talk about them uh, and, and, indeed, to, to do that uncomfortable, long, boring talking also, but do it in a structure, in a, in a fashion that actually gets your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids to show up and participate. And it's not just that they need to know what you're talking about, but they need to know the context and have the history of those communications so that when a hard decision arises three or four years hence, they won't be making that hard decision in a vacuum of not knowing where it all came from and why it's there. So, communications is not about only about now and the information. It's about creating a history of communications so that the context is fully understood by all family members and they'll be in a better position to make a decision. Um, strong-willed founder or wealth generator, my sixth point there is, is an important one. Most people who create a lot of wealth, they are pretty strong-willed people and getting past that is a real challenge. All right, flying a little too fast. Um, so purposes of the assets at each generation, uh, what do you want it for? Education's an obvious one. Maybe not just the Harvard schools, but others too. But mortgages, and I'll very briefly tell you, I'm no good at this either. I've made some mistakes. My grown son and his wife uh, said they were gonna buy a bigger house this past uh, spring. Maybe that means grandchildren are coming. No, no, no promises, no pressure. Um, but, uh, but, and then he said, and, Dan, I remember you always had a mortgage from one of our grandfather, Pops, we call him, from one of Pops' trusts. And I said, you're absolutely right. And, and then I realized, yes, you can have a mortgage, but there's no cash in any of our trusts to give you a mortgage. I hadn't planned for that. So planning ahead, and by the way, it'll take five or ten years to generate the cash or the liquid investments in the trust so that you could provide a mortgage. So think that through, and by the way, the way, the best way to think that through is to talk to your kids about it before they need that mortgage. Guys, are you gonna wanna have mortgages? And if so, let's now take some of the assets in this trust and begin to make, it, begin to make them liquid so that in five or 10 years, you can each have a mortgage. All right, I'm flying really fast here. Um, uh, yeah, cash when cash is needed. Um, so, so thinking long-term, um, investment considerations, I happen to like a lot private investments, and a number of people are here today raising capital for private direct investments. I can't tell you those are great investments, I don't know, uh, but that's the kind of thing you want to be doing. Uh, if you want your wealth to continue to grow, you have to outperform the market, not just because inflation is eating away, but also because consumption eats away at your wealth. And so creating additional wealth over time is really quite important, and I think, I happen to think private direct investments is a good way to do that. And lots of people can help you do that, but that's one way to do it. Do it within a trust structure or within some vehicle for your, your kids and your grandkids. So again, moving far too fast as we think long-term. Structuring and holding the, the, the governing and holding it. You know, Brad Jones uh, on the pro athlete panel a few moments ago said something about effective stewards of wealth or of money. That's exactly what your governance structure needs to do, is to be creating in your descendants effective stewards of the wealth. And that's a lot of complicated discussions of how you're going to govern, what the voting mechanisms are, how people are going to be appointed, and so on. But you can do that. Um, I would also say that that I think it was Brad Brad Oates may have said that self-governance is really what's critical. And that is part of it, is self-governance. Because each of your children needs to be able to understand what he or she needs and govern the wealth from the perspective of what each of them needs. All right, I only got less than a minute left here. We're not going to get to the end. Um, a, a, a tactical point, um, and this actually t- ties in with what Stephanie Anderson said also on that previous panel, uh, NFL player advocate, I love that word. Uh, this personal CFO would be an advocate for each of your children. Now, we, typically in a family, it's not an adversarial role, uh, you know, relationship, so you don't need an advocate in that sense, but an advocate to help the child, the descendant, understand what his or her situation is and how the wealth being projected down can be most effectively used. By me, and then advocate back to the family for that. Moving on, I'm not going to cover these at all. But philanthropy is a great tool. Uh, summary: um, We we are at the end. Um, you know, you will get to the future. You will have had balanced thinking. You will have had engagement across the family, and that will continue. And you'll have flexibility. And in that result, you'll have the. With that result, you'll end up with a century-long impact.